Ladies and gentlemen, kicking off the first stop on his world tour, our new president and prophet, Russell M. Nelson! You say you want some revelation, well here you go. Greetings, brothers and sisters. Welcome to the weekly and Mormon News Roundup, where eBay's new crew are going to ruminate on the Great Spacious Beehive. It's September 3rd, 2023. This is episode 75, coming right at you. We're going to give you an update on uh, the Community of Christ President BZ, his health, and what's going on with his tenure as the President Prophet of the Community of Christ. Also, the LDS Church is putting on a very unusual gospel lecture series uh, that's that's have, taking place in Utah with some very high-profile people. We're going to tell you all about that. You know, Mrs. America, she's Latter-day Saint, and she's uh, stoked a bunch of controversy. You're not going to want to miss it. And a Mormon TikTok star has agreed to a plea deal after shocking allegations. Now, if you want to get in touch with us, we're at www.mormonnewsroundup.org, or you can send us an email to kolob at mormonnewsroundup.org. I'd like to invite uh, uh, onto the program John Hamer as a co-host. John, how's it going? Hey, very good. I'm so happy to be here with you. Hey, great. Thanks a lot for coming on. This is your second appearance. Your last one was one of our most viewed uh, our most viewed episodes of all time. So we're really oh. grateful to have you back. Now, I know you have a big channel over there called uh, Center Place. What, what do you do at Center Place? Who are you and what's Center Place all about? Yeah, um, so Center Place is the uh, name of our uh, church facility that we have in downtown Toronto. Uh, this is a Community of Christ congregation. And indeed, um, uh, it was first organized back in 1836. John Taylor was the very first pastor of the Toronto congregation. I'm the 40th pastor. And we uh, now live stream all sorts of content. Our Beyond the Walls uh, online ministry is the largest online congregation and community of Christ. Community of Christ is the former reorganized Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And the Center Place uh, lecture series now has just really taken off. So I lecture on a whole bunch of topics related to church history, uh, Bible, restoration scriptures, Book of Mormon, that sort of thing. Uh, and people have liked it. And like last year, apparently, People spent 1.9 million hours listening to it. So anyway, so we're pretty happy with the numbers and, and uh, might want to check it out. Yeah, and it's always good that you have a map in the background. I know you're a big time, what do they call it, a cartographer? Is that right? A cartographer? Sure, absolutely, yeah. And so that's a map I made. And so this is of, uh, of locations of Community of Christ in Canada. Oh, that's great. And I'd also like to welcome our other co-hosts onto the program, Rebecca Biblioteca. Rebecca, how's it going? It's going great. How are you guys? Hey, absolutely tremendous. Now, you're the uh, host of the Mormonish podcast and also the Good Book Club. What uh, books are you guys uh, reading uh, this time around? This is true. We are actually just celebrating our third year anniversary. It's been going strong for three years. It's a book club for post and nuanced Mormons to kind of, now that we know what we may not believe, now we try to figure out what we do believe by reading. So September, we're doing a Mountain Meadows Massacre mashup. Choose any book of your choice about the Mountain Meadows Massacre. We're going to have a big discussion on Saturday, September 10th, and we're even having a field trip. So if anybody wants to go down to St. George with us, we're going to take a tour with a former church historian Richard Turley and Barbara Brown, CEO of Signature Books. We're going to spend the weekend down in St. George. So um, message me if you'd like to join us. It's going to be really interesting. Blood of the prophets, blood of the prophets. Yeah. Oh, oh no. Oh no. I'm a purist. Yeah. Don't even get me started on that. John and I could have a conversation for a long time about that. Yeah. I'm a real badly purist myself yeah. too. So. It's such an amazing book. I mean, that yeah. is the, also, it's like not every, um, not every one of the gems of the new Mormon history, you just can't put down. 
that's one that I like took on on vacation and just like read by the pool. Yep. I couldn't stop reading it. It's amazing. So yeah. No, it is. In fact, two years ago for the Good Book Club, we read that as our book club book. And that was when Will was still alive. And mm -hmm. I was texting and talking with him about coming on and, and talking to us in the book club. And then he stopped returning my voice messages. And then sadly, I found out that he had passed away. I literally think I might be one of the last voice messages on his phone trying to coordinate this book club appearance. So mm -hmm. we miss you, Will, and your scholarship lives on. Oh, what a wonderful guy. Well, that sounds like a very interesting. Uh, that sounds like a very interesting field trip. You'll have to. I'm sure you'll give us a report about what's going to take place there. Those are a couple of big grabs there. Richard Turley. Uh, yeah. Barbara from uh, Signature Books. Barbara Brown. Yeah. Sounds like Absolutely. a tremendous endeavor. You guys have so many things going on, which is great because we this here at the Mormon News Roundup we like to uh, keep our pulse on what's happening, and you guys are movers and shakers. And that does remind me, though, Rebecca, you have the Mormon joke of the week, which we always like to start off with that. So. <laughs> I do. And, you know, I love this part of the program because I get to just kind of peruse a whole bunch of jokes <laughs> and laugh so hard and then try to pick one that's going to be right. I run them past different people and it's so hard to choose. I wonder if you would ever consider having like the three Mormon jokes of the week or something. Honestly, I have a hard time, but I have narrowed it down to one. So the question is, how many general authorities does it take to change a light bulb? <laughs> None. It's a gaslight. Oh. <laughs> okay. I don't. I think it's good. <laughs> that's good. That's very good. Nice. Very nice. Now that's going to take us to our very first uh, episode, our very first article of the week here, which is um, the church is doing something that I've never really seen them do before, and they're doing what is called a gospel topics essays lecture series now of course the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints they released i think it was 13 or is it 14 rebecca gospel topic essays it's a oh it seems to fluctuate it seems to me <laughs> it's one of those numbers yeah they just released the finances one a couple of months ago yeah. so i think it's wow. 14 or 15. um and, yeah. but this is the first time that i've seen this here they're doing a lecture series based off of the gospel topics essays here so we have the first vision account by greg christopherson um then we have joseph smith teachings from uh richard hosselfeld and then we also have a, a book of Abraham with Carrie Muelstein, and we have a polygamy with Brittany Nash, and we even have apostles getting involved in this uh, race in the priesthood. That this is going to be from the Holbrook Farms and Cold Spring Ranch stakes. So I, I thought this was absolutely very, very interesting here. Why I, I've never seen anything like this before. What do you? Why do you think the church is doing something like this, Rebecca? Well, I was very intrigued by this series because the Backyard Professor and my podcast Mormonish that I co-host with Landon Brophy, we are actually also doing a series on the Gospel Topics essay. We have a book that kind of covers all of them. We've been going through it, and I think we've, we've knocked out five episodes already. So the first uh, of this series that you're talking about is actually the next one we're doing, Women, Temple, and the Priesthood, I think is what it's called. So I was very intrigued. I thought, and this is my neck of the woods. So I thought I might actually have to attend some of these. Very interesting. But then I did notice that they are on Friday nights. So I wondered if that was by design, that maybe <laughs> maybe only the most faithful would attend. I'm not sure. I wish they were on another night, not a Friday night. But a very interesting endeavor and some big names, some big names covering these topics. Yeah, I mean, there's exactly one woman in this lecture series, and of course she is, I, I would say, sent out to defend polygamy. Is she picking up the unenviable task where Kate Holbrook seems to have left it? That's where I'm going out on the limb. That's what I believe is what is happening. And of course, you also have um, uh, on LGBTQ, uh, you have Tom Christofferson, 
who I believe is uh, uh, I believe that he's uh, Todd Christopherson's brother, right, uh, Rebecca? Mm. And that he uh-huh. uh, he identifies as uh, as a member of the LGBTQ community. So you have a woman defending polygamy, a member of the LGBTQ community, um, uh, talking about challenges uh, in that particular. You have a, a book of Abraham. You have Carrie Mulstein, who's a BYU uh, apologist, and um, you know. The, the thing I find, do find interesting is that race and the priesthood, they still had a white guy. White on that guy. One, I guess. Yeah. You know, I guess. Although, although a brilliant white guy, Paul Reeve is very, is amazing. But like you say, they haven't, on the other hand, you also don't always want to necessarily, <laughs> necessarily have that, you know, like the, the thing. So we, we, so when, so for example, I organized a conference, you know, where we were dealing with kind of very complicated uh, topics like this in the restoration. Uh, race, gender, ethnicity, and this sort of thing, and uh, we had a we have a very um, a, a brilliant uh, leader, Gwen, Gwendolyn Hawks Blue, in Community of Christ, who has been a member of the presiding high council, and we had and she's African American and and grew up in what was then the RLDS Church of Segregated Church in the in in the past, and and we invited her to share her experiences, and one of the things that she reminded me was. She would also, she does like enjoy being invited to speak on these topics, but she would also like to talk about other things, you know what I mean? In other words, so is the black member of the church shouldn't only be invited to talk about race, right? And so forth. Yeah, without question. Now, this does remind me kind of of what that Mark Twain and the uh, eight witnesses. Remember what Mark Twain said about the eight witnesses? I would not, I could not be more satisfied if all of the Christoffersons we got three Christoffersons here, so it just kind of, reminds, kind of reminds me of the uh, eight witnesses to the Book of Mormon and Mark Twain. It just kind of reminded me of that joke. That is by far and away my favorite one of those Mark Twain quotes. Everyone likes the chloroform and print one, but I love the the Whitmer, <laughs> the Whitmer family witnesses. <laughs> I, I finally, I finally found my people who can who can appreciate absolutely obscure and lame jokes. I <laughs> That's it. We're here for you. We're here for you. Absolutely. <laughs> this, this is a lecture series. This is not mm-hmm. a question and answer. This is really mm-hmm. a place where divine knowledge is to be downloaded to the faithful. It's mm-hmm. not a two-way conduit of information. And it uh, just brings the question, why, aren't, why, why can't any of these items be addressed in general conference, for instance? Mm-hmm. How, about, how about we bring these out of, instead of just little tri-state firesides, bi-state firesides on a Friday night, only the faithful will attend. How about we have these same things and put them into general conference? That would be, you're going to get a lot of eyeballs on that. I, I don't think that that's how the LDS church is operating with its, um, with its uh, inoculation theory. So in other words, when these gospel uh, doctrine, or do gospel topics, lecture, or essays first appeared, they're hidden, right? So you don't, so you don't immediately show them to everybody. But for the people who are questioning these things or have found out about these things, the people could say in plausible deniability, oh, well, the church has addressed that. There, here's the, here's the link to that lecture topic or whatever. But they don't want to have everybody get exposed to this because if everybody's exposed to it, then suddenly they'll all go, wah, you know, and so then you'll lose a lot of people. So the inoculation is, is, a, has been a a very deliberate and slow rollout in the LDS experience. And this sounds like kind of more the same. So where you're trying to, you know, follow on this um, LDS rescue model, like the, the, the Sweden rescue, the Boise rescue, whatever, all those rescues. But in this case, it's like, let's have inoculation lectures on a Friday night for the people who really want to go, you know, and therefore, you know, but not, <laughs> Die that, hard. not bring that to general <laughs> conference. We are not talking about this in, in, in a general conference. Anymore. 
No, and I think it also has to do with the middleman. I think you'll notice that the church often, when they need to get information out, they will use a middleman. Um, Scripture Central, formerly known as Book of Mormon Central, Fair Mormon, they will give information to these sort of adjacent you know, platforms so that the information can get out where it needs to get, but a little back, you know, backed off from exactly presenting it as officially as in conference, but the information gets out to the people that need to know. Yeah. Yeah. Now um, I've got the inside scoop here, guys, on the next lectures that are going to happen. There's about nine of them that have been announced and I've got the next ones that this is, this is hot off the press here. And again, don't take this too seriously here, but um, here's the next 10 uh, gospel topics lessons that um, uh, let's just say I would like to see. Okay, so um, this is for our poll of the week. We always have a Mormon News Roundup poll of the week. We release these episodes every Sunday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. For those of you in the live chat, get ready to cast your votes. But this is the next, uh, here's the next ones that uh, I'd like to see. Um, how about this? Detecting murder sitting across from you in your office. The spirit of discernment in action. And uh, who do you suppose would be a good one for giving that one, Rebecca? Gosh, uh, there are so many people that probably need to give that one, right, to brush up on that exact skill. So I'm not sure. Who do you suggest? I suggest President Dallin Oaks. That's the last There you go. There you go. I, would... I mean, I, this, this just reminds me, I'm, a, I'm really good friends with Brent Metcalf, who is, you know, also uh, in the middle of this thing and, and is so much, you know, just this amazing um, scholar who... You know, it was it was actually scholars who and and also and in the case of um, the the Tanners, the Tanners actually identified, uh, I think, um, Hoffman as a as a forger before or, you know, in other words, this thing, these things aren't aren't right before actually even the scholarly community and much less the prophetic community. So. Yeah, absolutely. They, they they blew the whistle on the salamander letter in particular, saying that yeah. it appears to be of dubious origin. Whereas a lot of LDS apologists rushed out and said, this is um, a, an authentic document. So, yeah. Well, and I'll even say in our, our church, you know, with, with the uh, the Joseph III blessing, um, we just we just assumed that because the LDS church had such high power uh, historians and everything like that that authenticated it, we're like, oh, OK, well, I guess we I guess it must be real, even though our historian kind of said the date for this is wrong. This doesn't make a lot of sense, but we got to I guess I guess we believe the Mormon church, since it's so smart. <laughs> anyway, I, I'm just glad, John, that you acknowledge the power in the Mormon church. I just. Yeah. <laughs> well, I acknowledge that our leaders did. <laughs> so. right. OK, so that's uh, number one. How about uh, number two here? Uh, Rebecca, could I get you to read this one? Oh, of course. This is one of my favorite topics, of course. I go on all kinds of podcasts talking about this. Uh, filing federally required 13F forms for sacred clandestine investment funds, the pros and cons. I yeah. wonder who should be teaching this one. <laughs> um, yeah, well, it's surprising that Roger Clark's going to be giving this one. Boy, that, there it is. There it is. That's going to pack the house, I promise you. Yeah. Promise you. In fact, if you put that in the conference center, it would be standing room only. And I would fly all the way in from the East Coast. I, I live near Washington, D.C. I would definitely. There are pros and cons, by the way, of filing those federally uh, required 13F forms. You know, there's there's definitely pros and cons. I think we can all agree on that, right? Sure. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, the, third, uh, the third one in this lecture series, uh, uh, again, Rebecca, can you read this one for us? Yeah, let's see. I'm gonna, I have my paper here, too, in case I can't quite see the slide. Um, LDS Charities Australia, how this tax-dodging shell company builds faith and strengthens testimony. These are great topics. Oh, okay. Okay. 
perfect. Yeah. This is our Bishop Carol Cause. <laughs> you know, those cell companies can really help increase faith, and he's going to tell us yeah. all about it. So that's going to be uh, fascinating. Or how about this one? Uh, this one is uh, why the whites had to wait oh. until 29 to get the priesthood. And this is going to be brought to us by Brother Brad Wilcox. <laughs> None other but. There's no one else that could teach this the way it's meant oh. to be taught. These are extremely <laughs> obscure jokes, by the way. Oh, poor white people. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay, uh, next one in the Gospel Topics XA that I'd like to see is, uh, how, can you read this one for us, Rebecca? Uh, the heaven-sent benefits of funneling billions of tax-exempt Canadian tithing straight uh, BYUP and why they must keep doing it. Another hot topic. Yeah, sure. and John, I'm oh. sure that you have absolutely no issues with all of that tax-exempt yeah. Canadian tithing being sent a billion dollars over the last uh, 20 years straight to BYU. I'm sure that you have absolutely no issues with that, right? Oh, yeah, I know. All of the, I'm sure every Canadian wants <laughs> to have and the Canadian government's all in favor of it. No, it just shows that um, when you're such, when you're so big and you have all of these very high-powered lawyers and you have all of this money behind you, you're able to skirt rules. And so actually the rules for charities in Canada, Revenue Canada, are very... Um, very particular. And so so we have this this issue all the time in Community of Christ, which is we have people uh, that donate. You can choose where you donate your tithing. So your tithing doesn't just all go into one big LDS bucket like in the Mormon church. You could say, I want to have things go to the local congregation. I want to have things go to uh, this, this charitable thing that we are all doing together in Canada. I want to have it go to the denomination. But the problem is that the denomination is based in the United States. And so Revenue Canada doesn't actually just allow us to just uh, take dollars from the charity and, and funnel it to the U.S. the way, um, obviously, when you don't have to obey rules, uh, the LDS church is able to. So anyway, so it is something that, I mean, I had a meeting with the First Presidency and the presiding bishopric about this two days ago, <laughs> you know, because we, we, are, we are faced with this issue all the time because we actually have to uh, obey the rules. <laughs> so... Yeah, that definitely. And Shane Reese is, uh, would be a very good speaker for that one, I think. I, I'd sure. like to hear from him. Uh, the next one is stop calling them mission trips. <laughs> uh, this, and this is uh, Kalani Sitsky. Am I saying that right? The BYU football coach? And, in fact, this is him actually mouthing. I got this right off of there. That's a him mouthing. <laughs> because as we know, He's very are, adamant. <laughs> right. They are not mission trips. They're missions. There's a huge difference between the two. But what's interesting about that is that mission trip is an understood term across Christian denominations for a youth that goes out and serves for a religious purpose. And so I know a lot of missionaries that come back from their mission and they put mission trip on their resume with the dates because an employer who's not LDS understands what that means. It's a mission trip. So it's in no way a slight or a belittling of the LDS mission experience. It's trying to make it more universal, which I feel the church is trying to do over overall. We'll get into some stories like that I think later in this broadcast but mission trip is just a universal term that means I served for my religion for a few years so it's interesting that they're you know like he was so adamant there do not call it a mission trip because <laughs> to me it, it, it has a universal theme to it yeah if your friends are putting mission trips on the resume they're mm -hmm. probably visiting the ex-mormon reddit way too often <laughs> that's very possible they would be my friends so yes it's very possible <laughs> Uh, definitely. Okay. Uh, a couple other of the gospel topics essays that oh, I'd like to see. Here we go. James Huntsman lawsuit update. 
an examination of how his countenance has fallen. And this is going to be given by a random Curtin McConkie stooge. They haven't announced it yet because they don't know which one of them is going to be being deposed for uh, covering up a child sex abuse case. So it's just a placeholder. Um, but if you look, look at him. They're busy. Yeah. They're, they, well, they never know. There's so many lawsuits. Uh, but exactly. if you just look at James Huntsman's countenance, you can really tell a lot by looking at someone's countenance. And that's what this uh, lecture series is all going to be about. Okay. Let's keep on going here. Um, and I know this one is near and dear to your heart, Rebecca. How about this one? Ooh, this is how bullying, threatening, and intimidating a historic non-Mormon Western town into approving its incredibly gaudy eyesight in the wrong place will bring souls into the kingdom. Yeah, eyesore. And, and this is going to be by a rando church spokesperson, by the way. It's just going to be a random uh, random guy. You never really heard of him before, and you probably never will hear from him again. But this is the ultimate bonus question, by the way. Uh, this isn't a rando church spokesperson. If either of you know who this is, you will be head of the class. 700 Club. Very impressive. 700, right. that's it. Pat Robertson, right. Pat okay, Robertson, um, yeah. <laughs> yes, very impressive. Okay, uh, a couple last ones here. The mastermind behind concealing $150 billion for 22 years speaks, finding the Lord by bearing the widow's might. And that's going to be by President Eyring here. There yeah. he is. Yes, he was there from the very beginning, 1997, all the way up and through. Uh, so, And this is the last one here. Rebecca, can you read this one for us? Mm -hmm. uh, why the church shows absolutely no leadership on the global stage for anything that actually matters and how Jesus is totally cool with it. And obviously, this would be best uh, given to us by President Russell M. Nelson with token appearance by Wendy. Okay, so, uh, okay. so well, he has been working on important things. So he can't possibly, <laughs> uh, you know, deal with malaria or, you know, in other words, you know, there was, there was no global, global issue because there was all of the whole the whole need to, you know, anyway, reduce how many hours you meet on Sunday and, you know, again, uncover the billions, <laughs> so, you know, the, the different, you know, some of the some of the important things that have happened. Right. Well, he's got some very important journals that he needs to hand over to the University of Utah as well. That's taking up a great deal of his time. Um, and that, so for those of you in the live chat, if you will cast your votes in the live chat at this time, um, which gospel topics uh, essay series would you like to see most? Um, cast that through one through ten. And let me ask you, uh, I'll start with you, John. Which one of those one through ten would you most like to see as a gospel topics essay lecture? Well, you know, I actually uh, I need to go with the Canadian tithing one because that would be very um, that would be uh, useful to me to know how the tax dodge worked. I need to I need to listen to that one, take some notes, see what happens. <laughs> makes a lot of sense. And Rebecca, what about you? Uh, what are you voting for here? You know, I'm just, I'm all things temples right now since we put out, Mormonish has put out some podcasts on Cody Temple and Heber Temple has reached out. The Thailand Temple has reached out. I'm going to have to go with the Cody because I think this issue around uh, building temples is heating up. It's very interesting. Yeah, um, yeah. so this is obviously just a joke poll, but the last time that a member of the Quorum of the 15 was asked a hot button question, um, it didn't actually go that well. I do have a clip of this. This is a, a very, very new here. So this is the last time a member of the Quorum of the 15 answered one of these hot button questions here. Um, and, you know, it's kind of, um, you know, just kind of, kind of. Stop talking. Um, and I just, I'm just going to close my mouth. Oh, yeah. Please, someone help me off the stage. Oh, <laughs> that, you know, that's what happens when you ask them about some of those gospel topics. Essays. Oh, dear. That is a really useful member of the Q15, though. Oh, I, I, I don't know how many. That must be a newly called, yes. <laughs> <laughs> 
and John, uh, just for, for your information, that's the, uh, I know you're Canadian, you know, that's, that, that's called the Utah, uh, excuse me, that's our Senate uh, majority leader, right? Senate majority right. leader. You know, we don't worship kings and queens down here in the United States. We don't have duchesses and dukes. We have a little thing that's called democracy. You may want to look it up, John. <laughs> well, we are very happy to have a king, King Charles III of Canada. King <laughs> Charles. <laughs> That's for our more, uh, poll of the week there. Uh, that does take us to our next article here. Um, and this is a real article here. I like some of these other ones. But um, the church that sees its billions grow as it dumps stocks worth millions of dollars. So the value of its main investment fund now tops $49 billion with $3 billion in Amazon. And of course, that is only the domestically required. Uh, uh, that's only the domestic portion of it. According to David Nielsen, only one third of it is accounted for by this 50 billion. It's probably more like um, 150, 175 billion. The biggest, uh, for me, the biggest thing from this is that it says a new analysis from the Widow's Might Report. Let me give you this quote here. This is um, how much uh, the churches. This 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 graph here shows if the church is, is beating the S&P 500. So the Ensign Peak here is in blue. S&P 500 is um, here in orange. So if Ensign Peak in blue is ahead of the S&P 500, then it's beating the stock market. If it's below, then it's losing to the stock market. And you can see that it's mostly even money or perhaps just a little bit less. But the money quote from this particular article here is, is this one here that says, a new analysis from the widow's might based on data from Bloomberg indicates that Ensign Peak has been a net seller of U.S. stocks thus far in 2023, shedding around 500 million in each of the first two quarters. I find that to be very interesting. Why is Ensign Peak dumping so many stocks? What this is? Um, what do you think? End times. <laughs> I was going to say because God told them to do it. That's exactly how they're investing. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I was clear that like that when God told them to buy like all of downtown Salt Lake City to build that mall right before the real estate crash, you know, so they bought at the really high point of what all those uh, malls and, and, and stores were worth. And then they had to redevelop the whole thing. And it cost more than like the Burj Dubai, right, to make a little mall in downtown Salt Lake City. <laughs> so It was one point four billion dollars. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, that was a lot of inspiration on that one. <laughs> so. yeah. As a matter of fact, the church in the last uh, month has dumped a great deal of Missouri real estate, has gotten rid of 1,800 acres in Missouri. So yeah. instead of, you know, and, and that was the, the promise, especially for the first five presidents of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, was that we were planning on reclaiming Jackson County all the way up until really, I would say, Joseph F. Smith. Uh, you know, after Joseph F. Smith, the promise of going back to Missouri was basically washed away, in my opinion. But the church is doubling down, like you said, John, buying a lot of real estate in the Salt Lake City area and getting rid of Missouri, which was supposed to be the promised land. Um, any thoughts on this last article here, Rebecca? Well, you say the idea was dumb, but not in my family. We were going to Missouri. <laughs> that was a reality in the 70s and 80s for my family. So, no, and you know, you see articles like this and you see the headlines, billions and millions. I think people just can't comprehend these numbers at all. So they just kind of go, eh, when you have as much money as God, you, whatever, lose a few million, gain a few billion. You know, I think people are almost tired of looking at the numbers because they can't quite understand, which is why I would suggest that you watch some of the podcasts that are out there. Mormon Stories did a really good one. I got to be on it with, you know, some of the Widows Might representatives and RFM. You know, try to figure this out. It's complicated to go through, but once you start to understand what's happening, your eyes will be open. It's, it's a very interesting scenario, but I think most people just look at it, especially Fethel members and go, whatever, a million, billion. It doesn't even compute that much money to most of us. 
Yeah, and the church is also spending a lot of money in uh, restoring um, you know, historic LDS sites. In particular, what we have seen here just recently is um, the church um, uh, restoring here the Joseph and Emma family home. Yeah. And by the way, um, this is one of the examples, just as a segue, with the billions and millions and whatever, in other words, oh, this amazing amount of money that the Mormon church has, when Community of Christ sold this house uh, to the LDS church, we sold it for probably a tenth or a hundredth of what we should have actually. I mean, it's, it, because because people, we just kind of sold it for what it was worth as opposed to what it was actually worth in terms of what the buyer would pay. And so this is a, um, a historic building that exists in Kirtland. It is across the cemetery from the Kirtland Temple. I've stayed here many times before because this was a, um, a house that is owned previously by uh, the church by Community of Christ, uh, but yeah, we sold it for like super cheap, and that's just really dumb. <laughs> anyway, they've, they've restored it. Uh, I mean, to I mean, in in a, in a sense, we don't know too much about it. In other words, Joseph and Emma were moving around a lot in Kirtland. They lived here for a certain amount of time. It's probably been kind of made into a little bit more like a focus on, let's say, a, a kind of a what what's the what's the LDS novels about um, about having no, the novels. Like, or work uh, in the glory. Work yeah. in the glory. It's kind of like yeah. a, maybe it's probably a little work in the glory in terms of like, right. like there was, there was like a, a Disney fantasy that they were having a happy couple here for the whole time. <laughs> they were in Kirtland. They probably were there for a certain amount of time. Um, and I'm sure they've done a beautiful job of re restoring it. I haven't been inside it since it's been restored. Yeah, I mean, I also think about this. Remember, the Maui fires just uh, took place and there was uh, at least five Latter-day Saints who were killed in the Maui fire. No mem senior member of the church went to go visit that, but this is during the same time frame when Elder Bednar dedicated this building. So that just shows to me the level of priorities. And by the way, for some reason, they don't mention Fanny Alger in this uplifting <laughs> video. Mm -mm. You know? I wonder yeah. why. Oh, so you're saying there's no, no video or no restoration of the outbuildings, like the barn? <laughs> to me, that's a very pivotal uh, location. <laughs> when you look at the outside, I didn't. That's what I'm saying. I didn't see a barn on the outside. Okay. It seems like only the house. If you look at the uh, far away shot, there's no barn. I don't think they restored oh. the barn. They probably well, it would have to be reconstructed. It, it would have been turned torn down. But in any event, okay. it wasn't reconstructed with like mannequins. You know, like in the in the beautiful old um, <laughs> Liberty Jail. Like Liberty Jail. Weird. <laughs> it was a very strange kind of like Disney um, reconstruction of the Liberty Jail thing. If you've ever been to Liberty, Missouri, and and it was the perfect kind of Disney animatronic. There's not actually animatronics, but it's like mannequins, right? And so like there's a Joseph Smith mannequin and a bunch of other people that are in this jail, and then the lights would turn on them, you know, like when they're talking. And then at a certain point, when God starts talking, Joseph. <laughs> You know, you know, you know, and so it's a, it was it was a really amazing unreformed thing. I think that it's probably been fixed now. But anyway, the last time I was there five or seven years ago it was still kind of absurd. But anyway, it was a very, very, very cool 60s thing. And you could have done that with the with the barn in, in Kirtland oh. with the Fanny Alger um, mannequin. <laughs> so forth. Oh. Emma kind of. Wow. I didn't expect that you were going to go there, John. I didn't expect that. But if they do restore the barn, they need to keep the crack very, very authentically. That's right. And that's, and that's where I want to take my photo, right there with the crack. Exactly. Right the looking through. Yeah. You know, in fact, uh, Rebecca was joking that um, maybe the Exmo should dedicate the barn, you know, because it's a pivotal site. 
But see, I now I know there's no structure there, and I feel like five years from now it'll just be there was never a barn. Why does anyone say there was a barn? I've been to the site. There's no barn. I mean, that's how it works, right? Just slips away, slippery like treasure. It's gone. Now, we're on Instagram, by the way. If you want to follow uh, the Mormon News Roundup, leave us a comment about this episode. We'd be very grateful for that. Leave us a thumbs up while you're at it or a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And we also have from some more uh, – we have so much news always every single week. If you look at this, uh, this the Liahona for this uh, month's Liahona, we found something very interesting, didn't we, uh, Rebecca, when we were looking at the Liahona, which is the church's official magazine this month. So um, here we have uh, Hear Him, Moving Forward with Faith. Come unto me, a uh, coin in the fish's mouth. But the gospel solutions uh, section here, Rebecca, what do we get? When you look at gospel solutions, yeah. what do we find here? Yeah, typically that section, because I have read through them, my parents do subscribe to the Leahona wow. and read it cover to cover quite often. Um, and, you know, it has just different gospel topics that come up, you know, things that you can help people in their lives. But for some reason this month, every single article is on pornography. Every single one, finding hope and love while battling pornography. My hope for life free from pornography. Has pornography ruined my ability to feel and live and give love? If I struggle with pornography, am I still worthy of the Savior's help? Also, what my husband's pornography struggle taught me about the Savior's atonement. So I try to picture my parents in their late 80s as they read through the magazine and what this what this brings into their life reading these articles i haven't asked them maybe i will maybe I, it's never good to talk about pornography with your parents but it is i don't know if it was just unfortunate i can understand having one or two articles because the church um, from my point of view is obsessed with pornography absolutely obsessed and i can see that they would probably have i'm guessing one or two every single time in that section. But I don't know if an editor didn't take a look at the sum total and go, oh, this this is not a great look, but this is what we have right here. So if you were not thinking about porn when you picked up the Liahona, you're thinking about it now. <laughs> well, John, it, John, it just looks like to me that the solution to all of gospel problems is just to stop looking at porn. That's basically yeah. what you get. <laughs> yeah. That's it. Yeah. It's definitely, yeah. you know, like an all porn issue. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> But it, it is a little crazy. I mean, it's it's sort of interesting that the LDS Church has maintained, like you say, this pornography obsession because, yeah. you know, like we were we, we saw it before Pat Robertson and the 700 Club and things like that. So there was a time period when uh, evangelicals were also on like a crazy anti-porn crusade and they and they've clammed up. There is not a evangelicals never talk about porn ever again. <laughs> You know, they've decided they lost that that battle, whereas yeah. the Mormon Church is not done, uh, you know, deciding mm -hmm. to shame people, specifically men, I guess, is the only, you know, there's, yep. it's, 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 it's uh, no women apparently look at porn. And that would be <laughs> inconceivable. They cannot go there. Not what, at all. So my husband's problem with pornography. Yeah. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> but so. again, they're, they just keep talking about it. They just keep bringing it up. So I think the evangelicals figured it out. You know what? We're talking about it too much. If we just don't bring it up, it's just going to kind of fade away. But constantly sacrament meetings, Sunday schools. I mean, I haven't attended regularly for a couple years at port toward the end there i i used to think about it from my parents point of view you know who are in a care center so they're not attending regular wards but i would think what does someone in their late 80s think about all these talks about pornography you're just hearing it over and over so and i guess my only question left for the leahonia if any of you have a copy there is this section a centerfold is it turned to the <laughs> you can cut that out if you need to <laughs> oh, 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 oh. 
point. Well, it just I, I like it. My takeaway is it looks like the Utah BPM legislation. It looks like it's not getting the job done because Utah mm -hmm. passed a law that says that you can't look at porn and, you and now everybody's using the BPM to get around it. It looks like that's yeah. not getting the job done. And I would just like to say one thing. Look, for the strength of the youth pamphlet was refreshed this year, which is the guidance to the kids. And they took out the stuff about masturbation. But it looks like they're keeping in the stuff about porn. And that does yeah. remind me of one of my favorite uh, uh, my, one of my favorite uh, uh, memes out there is from Trexmo. I'm a big <laughs> Trexmo fan. And what are we seeing here? <laughs> I said, bring the gorn up on the main viewer, Mr. Sulu. The gorn. <laughs> yeah, bring the gorn up. Yeah, this was one of the favorite ones I ever made. So, <laughs> But you have to, of course, know Star Trek to understand what the gorn is. It's a creature, a monster that Captain Kirk had to um, fight. But yeah, I thought that was kind of <laughs> Uh, yes, that he had to famously fight. That's a, one of the most ridiculous looking uh, characters in all it, the stuff. <laughs> yeah, watch the Gorn there. G O R. -N. Oh. That reminds me. I, I, if I could just, you know, the, for the gospel problem section for next month, I have a couple of ideas that might go along with this. And maybe you guys can give me a rating on a scale of one to ten <laughs> on how good these are. So I've got five of them for you of what I think should go in the gospel problem section for next month's Leah Hona. Hopefully, the Strengthening Church Members Committee is looking at this broadcast and we'll pass it along. Okay, so here's number one. Give me a scale of one to ten if, if you think these would be good for next month. Okay, frank feedback. I'm not afraid of criticism. <laughs> so number one, my, my first one is what to do if my husband keeps fantasizing about his future virginal polygamous celestial harem. <laughs> one to ten. Okay. Yeah, hmm. no. One to ten. I think it's a question that most women have. If you remember, somebody tried to ask that question of President Oaks when he you know, talked about it at conference. But I think just like he poo-pooed and dismissed it, I don't think that they would probably cover that because even though it's a thought, we're just supposed to keep it to ourselves. Okay. Okay. Well, maybe that was that's why thought. it's needed, and so I give it an eight. Okay. <laughs> there you go. That's it. Because actually, people are worried about that. Women. Yeah, it's a re it's a reality for women. It absolutely <laughs> yeah, is. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Or okay, number two, number two. I've got five of these, so that I think should go in for next month. Leahona. What to do if my bishop repeatedly refuses to report child sex abusers in the ward? Yeah. Yeah. Do they find out? You 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 just find out that that's what always happens <laughs> so, yeah, and has always happened yep uh, and will continue to happen yep that's exactly right okay sounds to me like it's very much needed i'll give that a personal 10. okay or yeah. number three how to justify sitting on 150 billion in investments plus a hundred billion dollar real estate portfolio while ten thousand children starve to death each and every day how's that yeah that's a good one because that keeps people up at night i think even the most staunch tbm in the back of their mind they've got to go you know I see hunger right outside on, you know, Temple Square, right outside those gates. And then I see the fun. So there's got to be a lot of cognitive dissonance. So, yes, I think that's definitely a needed article. Okay. Or number four, what to do about the 50% of my ward who disappeared after COVID? <laughs> oh, no. That's kind of no, no, there's an answer. There's an answer to that because um, I was with a relative with friends talking about their ward, which had emptied out after COVID and what they all decided at. And I watched the wheel spinning as they sat there talking about it. Where did everyone go? Isn't it weird? They're kind of gone. They had, this was out of state. They had all moved to Utah. That was the answer that this group of women decided on. They had just all somehow picked up and moved to Utah. So. I thought it was that they divided the ward. <laughs> you know, so it's that like, too. That too. Why there are people all gone? I, or something like that. I prefer to think of it as that they've all gone to Zion. 
And that's how there I'm going to that one. Okay. It could be the rapture, too. We don't know. We have no idea. Um, do believe in the rapture? I don't think so. Skousen, uh, Rebecca's parents Skousenites, and he was yeah. a rapturist, right? Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. Skousen, Cleon Skousen was kind of a very right-wing fringe. Right. Um, he wrote the thousand years, and he was one. Yeah, of I remember people. the I remember the chart in the book. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Like uh, how how long was uh, Methuselah alive compared to Lamech and Noah? Yep. <laughs> yeah, I used to study that chart at breakfast time. That was our reading every morning. Uh, no my, joke. You and Glenn Beck. My last one for the uh, gospel problem section for next month is. Why haven't more people liked and subscribed to the Mormon News Roundup, the Mormon News Podcast, and Center Place? There we go. That's got to be a 10. Come on, can I get a 10 on that? 10, 10, 10. That's a 10, yes. <laughs> All right, it's time for that temple ticker portion of this uh, this uh, Mormon News Roundup. And this is the new te- the latest temple that's been opened here. Bangkok, Thailand, open house. This was dedicated by Elder Gong here. One heck of a temple. Look at that. Yeah, it's uh, a mammoth temple, I would say. And if you've seen those pictures of it illuminated at night, it's you can't miss it. Let's just say that. Yeah, I mean, this is just really, really incredible here. Um, you know, and I think it's um, I think it's a uh, I think it fits pretty well with the downtown. I personally like to see temples in downtown areas because then they're accessible to um, people who don't have transportation or somebody who you know, doesn't have their own car. I, I don't personally like to see temples way out in the boonies where you can't um, uh, access them easy. And the, um, the, uh, what we just saw there is the project manager, this, took, this temple took four or five years to complete. The project manager, who is not a Latter-day Saint, he ended up converting to the church. And now he's being featured in the church videos here. Um, uh, any, any thoughts on this Thailand temple here, guys? No, I, I agree with you about having temples in the center of the city. I mean, I'm in a city dweller. I live right in the middle of downtown. But I, but the the reality is is that the the Plata Zion, the idea of it is is like the temple is in the center of the of the square, right? And so that when you do this thing where you throw it out into the boondocks into the suburbs and you got to drive there, then that is that's like the opposite of what um, anyway the original plan of Zion would have been. And so I, I do kind of like them. And then, and this one actually looks kind of original. I mean, some of these, um, you know, there's the real low point of LDS temples in my book is the the micro temples kind of from the 80s and 90s where it would, they're so so cheap. And it's just, I don't I don't even consider those temples. I think of those as endowment houses. And I appreciate that some people consider those to be temples. <laughs> but 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 in any event, um, the, some of the newer ones are 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 at least bigger again. And 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 this one looks more interesting than some of them. So. Yeah, and Rebecca here, this is uh, from I, I got this tweet here. It says, "I love seeing the temple spread here. Anyone trying to claim that the church is hemorrhaging mem- members isn't paying attention." <laughs> Ooh, well, I think they're paying attention to the wrong thing. And building a giant, grandiose mammoth temple does not necessarily translate into membership. Now, as I told you, I've been reporting on the Cody Temple. And the Thailand Temple People insiders have reached out to me. You can look for an episode of Mormonish in the next couple of weeks where we get more of the inside story on actual membership numbers and actual costs of the temple. So um, this person that I'm talking to, it's extremely interesting, the kind of thing that he's telling me. But for now, you know, beautiful building. Uh, people are excited. And I agree. I'd much prefer it downtown. 
been out in the open areas like Heber and Cody, who we're also working with to get the word out where there's dark skies pollution and all those kinds of issues. It's much better where it's accessible and that dark sky pollution isn't an issue. Yeah, and also the Manhattan Temple here is going to be closed <laughs> for three to four years as well. Um, and they're going to replace- Temple in, in quotes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to this was a this was a um when I was a kid this was in and lived in New York this was a uh a, a, just a steak center or something like that and there was a multi-purpose building and they and they stuck a tower on it uh they they you know remodeled a couple in at the a couple floors and suddenly it's a temple so I don't know I don't know this is um kind of <laughs> diminishing what the idea of temple is for me anyway so <laughs> Uh, yeah, we need to get back to the up, uh, upside down ice cream design. That's probably the superior oh. design. Is that or is that offensive? I love I'm that sorry. design. No. I'm, I'm not trying like to be offensive. The beautiful cone, yeah. The, I'm not the, trying. Argent temples or which of the ice cream? Ice cream. Uh, uh, the, the Kansas City, the uh, Independence. The, oh, uh, that one. Right. No, that one's a, that's the best temple that has ever been built in the Latter Day Saint tradition. It is amazing. There I, it is. I love that. That converted me to the church. <laughs> I, I love that, that building. And so, no, I mean, I'm, I'm a fan of, uh, I, I love temples. The Washington, D.C. temple, I think, is the last very significant, beautiful, architecturally significant uh, temple that the LDS church has made. Um, and it's, it's amazing. But uh, anyway, a lot of these are less so. <laughs> so. <laughs> well, and I will so say that, oh, go ahead. Oh, I, I would just say that uh, not all of these temples are uh, being met with uh, a lot of fanfare because just yesterday, the fourth temple site lawsuit for Cody, Wyoming. Now there's four lawsuits involved with trying to get this little temple into Cody, Wyoming here. The Preserve Our Cody Neighborhoods filed a second petition for reviewing in the district court on Friday. Some of these temples are having a lot of pushback here. And um, it, we thought that it was hard to get a temple in Jackson County, uh, Jackson County, Missouri at, independent, at the Independence Lot. It's very it, it, easy to put one there. There's no problem. <laughs> if the Mormons want to build a temple there, they can. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I know, Rebecca, you're following these Cody, Wyoming machinations here. What's going on there? Yeah, the Cody Temple is really interesting. It's kind of opened my eyes to kind of the how it kind of all operates when the church goes in to build the temple. And it's it's too complex probably to get into right here. If you want to go over to Mormonish, we did a full length episode on the saga behind the Cody Temple. Basically, it's being built in an area completely residential, not zoned at all for it. Dark skies, no access, all of that. And they kind of railroaded the city council and the zoning board to kind of push some things through when things didn't quite go their way. They filed two lawsuits, a citizens group, Preserve Our Cody Neighborhood. You can go find that on Facebook and see how you can help if you'd like to support. Um, you know, they filed a countersuit for protection and now they filed another one. So it's very much back and forth. There was some, you know, legal maneuvers where they pretty much said to the city, uh, don't even try. <laughs> we can we can outbid you right on this whole thing. Yeah. So there's just a lot of back and forth. Um, the citizens that we are kind of uh, working with, they definitely would love to have a temple in Cody. Um, um, they would love to have it somewhere where it's already zoned for, somewhere, like John said, where it's more accessible and um, right down there in, in downtown, somewhere in a commercial zone where you can just the pieces of this temple pop-up temple, tip-up temple are already there um, being stored on a member's um, industrial site. So it would be very easy if they just pick an area where everybody's happy with it and tip that temple up. It could begin very soon. But I don't think that's going to happen uh, because they're now in this uh, huge battle. So we'll see what happens. Right now, there's no permit issue. 
the mayor's kind of holding on to the permit, hoping that maybe cooler heads will prevail. There may be, you know, some kind of workaround or some kind of consensus. He eventually may just say go ahead and then um, it'll still be pushed up to district court. So there's a lot going on there. We do updates periodically on Mormonish. So but it's, it's a very complicated uh, situation. But the takeaway for me is these citizens are more than happy to have a temple in their town. They just want it to go where it's already zoned for instead of pushing things on the citizens that they don't want. Yeah, absolutely. And we also got um, some more information about uh, temple utilization. And somebody went into the, um, you know, the LDS Church has a uh, temple scheduling feature. And mm -hmm. somebody scraped the data using an API script to get all of the information about the utilization rate for September of 2023. So mm -hmm. we can see what the appointments were on all LDS temples, all, um, I think there's 100. 50 operating temples, I believe, somewhere around there. Um, and this data is very, very interesting. I actually reached out to the individual. I got some of the raw data to try to confirm it. It looks pretty authentic in my opinion. But um, for baptisms for the dead, um, the total for the month of September, there was a capacity of 372,000 baptisms for the dead. And um, about 158,000 were actually done. So that's a little, maybe a 40%. Uh, about 40% utilization. And that's also, that's actually pretty high because if you look at initiatory capacity over the entire church for that month, September, 2023, the capacity, if it was at full capacity would be 329,000 initiatories, but only 41,000 were done. So you're looking at like a 15% rate utilization rate for initiatories, which obviously is pretty low. In fact, Guam only did uh, nine reservations in the entire month. And Guam has 2,500 members. So it's pretty low. And let me just cover these last two and I'll get you guys' thoughts on this. Endowments, which is obviously one of the most important ordinances in the temple, there's a capacity of 1.1 million um, endowments for that month, but oh, there was only 151,000 reservations. Again, about a 15% um, a 15 percent utilization rate. And um, uh, what we're finding also, most of these, uh, a lot of the reservations are skewing female. About 60 percent of the reservations are filled with females. And finally, we have ceilings. Um, you know, that's uh, what um, some people would call a marriage. The capacity is 369,000, but only 39,000 reserves. So what basically what we're getting from this scrape data is that utilization rate is somewhere in the 15% range. And again, you're making an appointment. You don't always even fulfill your appointment, right? Some people make an appointment and then something happens and you don't go in. So your utilization rate across everything, except for maybe baptisms, would be about 10% utilization rate. It's a very, very low utilization rate. Any thoughts on this one, John? Well, I'm sure that that would just jive with what most Mormons know from you know, like the kind of desperate bishop or stake stake leaders who are saying no one's coming to our temple and you have to somebody's got to you know uh you sign up for this thing and suddenly there's a bunch of begging to go to do it and they and yet it keeps on getting built and so yeah the problem is that um you know for the lds church in the in the 70s and 80s the the thing that legitimized it despite all of the all of the problems of the new mormon history all of the the, the bunking of mormon faith claims that occurred uh, in kind of like the reality-based world, it was it was saying, well, we're the fastest-growing religion in the world, and so that and so that uh, counters all of that. Well, now the the growth is evaporated, so there's no more growth, and so now how do you legitimize the church? And so the leaders of this church have just decided we're going to build fancy temples, and that'll prove that we're still growing or whatever. And so I mean, you know, talking about utilization, so they they. Uh, if they built that Rome temple, I don't know how many members there could possibly be in Rome. And, and, and again, it's not in the city. It's, 
it's out in the parking lot of a Home Depot and it's super fancy and all this kind of thing. But how, how many people could possibly use that thing, you know? And so it was just so that they could get all of the Q15 out there to stand in front of the big statues that they made and, and, and now we're in Rome and then be happy with themselves. But it's just a big vanity project, unfortunately, that's what I think. Um, Rebecca, what are your thoughts on this 10 to 15% utilization rate? Yeah, I agree exactly with what John is saying. It is one of the very few avenues left to look like something amazing is happening in the church, a temple. You get some positive PR when it's announced and when the open house is and, and when it's dedicated, things like that. But the reality, like if I can go back to Cody, so people in Cody, the town of Cody staff, the Billings and Helena Temple. So the people in Cody I talked to are like, well, okay, so now if we start staffing this Cody temple, there's no one to staff the other temples. So I feel like even faithful members, when a temple is announced in their stake, probably a few miles away from another temple, they're scratching their heads a little bit and worried about what that's going to mean to them. I also have a lot of information from people that are contacting me about, you know, how few hours some of these temples are open. You mentioned Rome, you know, it's more like a destination temple. It's not open, you know, open every day, all the time. As I understand it, the Thailand temple is going to be like that too, very limited time that it's going to be open. So um, it's like frosting. It looks great on the outside, but you know, it's just full of air. It really is not what it purports to be. Yeah, especially some of these smaller temples are only going to be mm -hmm. open two or even three days a week for just a couple mm -hmm. of hours in the evening time frame, only going to run a couple of sessions. And those sessions, as we've seen, are only 10% utilization rate. It's a very low utilization rate. And that reminds me that I saw this, uh, Rebecca, when I was driving around Utah last time I was visiting, um, I saw this on the highway. It said, next temple is one quarter mile. <laughs> I can attest to that here in Utah. There is one on every corner. I'm looking at one right now at my window. There we go. Well, you're probably looking at two of them out your window. You know. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. no, if I were to turn my head that way, over here is Mount Tipinogos, and over there I can see Linden. So you're absolutely right, both of them. <laughs> I want to put in my my vote that, you know, the next temple that they tear down and rebuild, like they did in Ogden and so forth, it should be the Toronto Temple, which is the ugliest, crappiest Mormon temple endowment house that exists and, and it's often the boondocks again in other words nobody ever goes see it so i mean i mean I, I haven't ever since i've even moved here which was you know about 15 uh 13 years ago or whatever we haven't, we haven't even gone back because there's just nothing to see this kind of uh thing that's kind of covered in composite you know material rock material or whatever it's yeah. it, it's it just doesn't even look like anything it's off in the parking lot and uh, the yeah. suburbs by the airport. Anyway, <laughs> so. Anyway. Well, I I find that highway sign to be very helpful because then you know when you need to plan out your next temple trip. Right. Don't panic, right? There's yeah, going to be panic. one don't in be another one. fourth. Yeah. You're going to be okay. You're and really, you're that's not. A draper. You're, you're not. You know, you're, you're almost a draper. draper. <laughs> but no, it's funny because I'm old enough that when I remember that a temple, it was in a very special location. Like it was somewhere where it was a destination. You had to go to it. It was in a beautiful area. And now they literally, at least here in Utah, are they pop up right beside the freeway. I'm thinking of the, the Orem. Well, it's technically another Provo Temple, but it's over in Orem area. You know, Taylorsville out there. They're just right off the side of the freeway. It's kind of like uh, that isn't so special. You know, it's more kind of like a curiosity. What is that? You know, 
But it is nice in the Taylorsville Temple that they have the blood donation right next door. They do have the blood donation right door, next door. And in the case of the, now I say Orem because it's right on the border of Orem. It's right there by the Utah Valley University. That temple last year when I was driving by, there was a fire in it. So because it was so close to the freeway, I was able to see the fire. Other people were reporting it, you know, so it was able to, I think it ended up being arson, but that was taken care of very quickly because the temple was right there on the main drag. So that, that's uh, just, a positive, I guess. Just like the pillar of fire that Moses had. And, you know, when I drove by and saw that, I was like, oh, is this some kind of manifestation that I'm seeing? And then I realized, no, I'm a post-Mormon. I would not be seeing a manifestation by everybody's, you know, how they would characterize me. So, no, it must be a fire. Well, it actually turned out to be arson. The uh, the Bureau yeah. of Tobacco, uh, I think it was the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms put out a reward. I think it was five or $10,000 mm -hmm. for information leading to the arrest. And I don't think that they actually found out yep. who, who, who started the fire, that it was not just a, a short or anything like that. Our next article here was uh, from uh, Jana Reese on flunking sainthood here, and she's talking about what Mormons can learn from Twitter. I mean, X. And she says, if you're still calling X Twitter, then don't send me hate mail about saying Mormon. I think this is very ironic here because everybody's having a hard time calling Twitter X because language, it just doesn't change overnight. And um, there's a lesson in this for members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, because this is the five-year anniversary of making Mormon a bad word. Uh, John, are you still calling Twitter X, or have you affixed your uh, verbiage? No, <laughs> I have not changed that. I'm not going to call it X. That's absurd. But, um, you know, in terms of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, I do try <laughs> sometimes, but it's impossible. This has been the problem since the very beginning of the church. So when the church was founded, it had a brand identity issue. So they decided, you know, oh, well, we are, we are going to be like, we are a restoration of the church that Christ founded. And so it has to be called Church of Christ. But nobody is going to call one random church, Church of Christ, since everything is called Church of Christ. And so then you have an interesting book called the Book of Mormon. So everybody calls you Mormonites. And so right from the very beginning, you know, uh, everybody's been called Mormonites and so or Mormons. And so I don't know, it's like in 1833, Oliver Cowdery, you know, is writing, um, we reject this term. Uh, and we want to be called, and so then they create the term Latter-day Saints in order to in order to try to create that, and so that has been fairly successful. And so saying LDS is actually a big compromise on the part of everybody else, <laughs> you know. But but in the end of the day, you know, you, you cannot have to say members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints over and over again. It's the same thing that we had as a problem. Members of the reorganized Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is too damn long, <laughs> you know. So anyway, it just can't yeah. be done. So. Yeah, uh, Rebecca, that does explain the, why the official name of the church from, I believe, 1833 to 1837 was the Church of the Latter-day Saints, right? That's right. Yeah. That's right. There have been some various, uh, various variations throughout time. But I will say that the use of the word Mormon is something I don't often engage on anything that I disagree with, with faithful Mormons. But on that, I do, because I say I am a Mormon. I mean, one of the first books I remember reading was Meet the Mormons in the early 70s. It was this right. big picture book. I was raised a Mormon. I was called a Mormon. I now call myself a post-Mormon because culturally I'm still a Mormon. I was in the church for 55, over 55 years. So I do um, push back on that. And I say, you know, I'm happy to respect what you would like to be called, but I still consider all of us who have this background, a Mormon. And I actually believe we will return to being a Mormon. I mean, who can resist the cute little, uh, it was a President Benson and his I am a Mormon boy, his cute little song. 
I'm sorry, that resonates in my heart and I feel like it's going to change. Probably once we have the new prophet and all the words of the old prophet have not aged well, like comic books or, or classic cars have, I think we'll just return. Because when you have a brand that's working, Mormon was a beloved, for the most part, a beloved, well-known brand like Twitter, you know, so maybe we should stop, start calling well, now, let's see, if I'm an ex-Mormon, maybe I'm sort of a combination of Twitter and the Mormon landscape. I don't know. <laughs> well, we ahead, had a huge advertising campaign. I mean, all through the mm -hmm. 70s and 80s. Mm -hmm. and I just remember, like, my teacher told me I should never tell a lie. It's a lie. Yeah. Anyway, from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the Mormons. <laughs> the Mormons. Yeah, that was the tagline. I'm a Mormon. Yep. I'm a yeah, Mormon. You're, you're... Yes, I am. <laughs> yeah, you're referencing yeah. the home front campaign. The home those yeah. were the home yeah. front ads. Yeah. And the church um yeah. released a uh, video in 1973 called Meet the Mormons, which is the one that they released before the 2014 more famous one called the Meet the Mormons. Of course, they bought millions of dollars worth of advertising, probably from Madison Avenue in Times Square and in other venues. And if you go to the church's official YouTube channel, you can still see a list, a playlist that has like 145 videos that says mm -hmm. I'm so and so and I'm a Mormon. So yeah. it's kind of like that. They're, this just sitting simmering below the surface waiting to be reanimated yeah. you know i'm gonna wait it out that's my idea i'm waiting it out you know i'll respect people but i totally agree yeah, that is gonna happen so he'll yeah. the current president will die and it'll get swept away speaking yeah. of speaking of famous mormons here uh mrs america winner hannah needleman is the homeschooling she homeschools her mother of seven kids she lives on her farm with her family in utah and um she is just an incredible family here just a very very photogenic family um a, a very uh a, a gorgeous a gorgeous lady here uh, incredibly talented and um you know what's interesting here is when you look at this uh particular tweet here it says that she's a Christian mother and all of the comments are saying, no, Mormons aren't Christians. Don't make, yeah. don't make me laugh. No, yeah. this is not, instead of trying to congratulate her, she's not a Christian. She's a Mormon uh, bringing, you know, she says, you know, it's just amazing how much attack she's getting just to clarify. She's a Mormon and not a Christian. I love her, but please don't get these things mixed up here. What do you think about uh, uh, Mrs. Uh, Needleman being the uh, Mrs. America? Yeah, I think it's great. She, I kind of looked into her background and she's been many Miss, Mrs. Things, Miss Springville, Miss New York, Miss Utah, uh, second runner up for Miss Utah, Miss Sweetheart, Mrs. South Dakota. So she's definitely a beautiful, incredible, talented person, a wonderful mother. And something that everybody loved is when they were asking her the questions during the pageant about what's the most empowering moment of your life. She talked about giving birth to her children and having children. So she definitely championed those home values and the epitome of motherhood. But then again, everybody is saying, you're great. You're awesome. We love you. Um, but you're not a Christian. So, and that seems to be a theme of a lot of things that we're talking about today, uh, trying to appear to be something that maybe others don't feel that you are. So, that interesting. Yeah, um, yeah, go ahead, John. I was just gonna say, I would think that all of those critiques are coming from evangelical Christians and mm -hmm. or, or you know, evangelicals who call themselves Christians. And so, so for me, I, I would consider evangelicals instead of, in the same way that we sometimes say that, um, uh, that some Muslims are not true Muslims, and so we use the word Islamists, uh, evangelicals, in my opinion, are, are Christianists, which is to say that they're also not Christians. So I'm a Christian pastor. I don't consider them to be Christians. I appreciate why they also don't consider Mormons to be Christians, because there is a big 
theological issue here. And you saw even the picture of the, the Trinity document, the diagram and things like that. Nevertheless, it, it's, it's certainly not Christian to just immediately attack this woman, <laughs> you know, and, so, and, and to, do, to do this thing, you know, it's not, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a crazy point of theology, and and it's not a and it's not shouldn't be a, the, the central thing that everybody's doing. So yeah, I don't consider evangelicals to be Christians either. That doesn't mean I'm going to lead with that when when they're doing something nice, you know. So, exactly. Yeah. Well, there's such a thing as being a self-reported Christian. I think everybody has a different definition what it means to you. So if you feel you are a Christian person living Christian principles as you see it, you're self-reporting. I don't think anybody means okay. what they mean when they see what anyone else means when they say Christian. So I agree. Don't lead with that. Yep. Now we've got some, uh, we got some articles of, uh, of Mormons doing some great things like winning Mrs. America, winning Miss New York City. And we also have some Mormons behaving badly here. Taylor mm -hmm. Frankie Paul here, who's one yeah. of the biggest Mormon influencers in the world. She's got like 200,000 followers on Instagram. And she's got like a million followers on TikTok here. She, um, she has reached a plea deal for alleged assault here. The influencer was initially charged in March after an altercation with her then boyfriend in which her daughter was injured. Um, she, she threw, this is from the article here. She threw heavy metal chairs at her boyfriend, kicked him and put him in a chokehold. She's managed to, uh, agree to a plea deal. This is going to be a class A misdemeanor. As long as she uh, stays out of trouble for her, she's going to be, um, she pled guilty, plea in abeyance for three years. But this is, um, a pretty sick, uh, story here of, uh, what's going on here. Um, it's, it's sad to see this all wrapped up in this way kind of the dark side, I think, of mommy bloggers. You know, it's interesting. It was only just a little while ago, I think, that people kind of went, huh, all the top influencer mommy bloggers seem to be LDS. You know, it's very interesting. They all had, you know, interesting lives with lots of children that not everybody has, and, and they could experience that vicariously by watching these mommy bloggers. But it seems like a lot of them now are in the news from different things. And this situation was really unfortunate because there was a child involved. I think it was actually the boyfriend's child that, you know, when she was throwing things at her boyfriend, the little girl was in the way. And so obviously, you know, law enforcement got involved. But Obviously, some issues there. And I don't know if that means her fan base, you know, are they going to turn on her? Are they going to understand she had a bad day? Some kind of an MMA sort of a situation? I don't know. But it's, it's unfortunate that it had to deteriorate. And so that when she's known for being, you know, very family oriented, a family mommy blogger kind of a person. And, and being Mormon, she puts that right on her Instagram. I mean, mm -hmm. she really oh, yeah. leads, leads with that. She says she's not endowed. She says that she doesn't go to church every Sunday, but she still um, self-identifies as a Mormon. So right. when, when we see these very famous people that get into trouble, um, it makes me wonder. Uh, the, the biggest thing, honestly, that I wonder about this particular case or, or that I think about in this is, you know, it, it's amazing to me. If you call a member of the Quorum of the Fifteen a liar, you're immediately excommunicated. But if you throw a heavy metal chair at your boyfriend, as well as kick him, put him in a chokehold, and do all of this in front of a small child, um, I, I would be very surprised if she was going to be excommunicated. It's interesting to me to see how the church deals with um, criticism versus how it deals with mm -hmm. um, people who are literally dangerous. You know? But it's also the, I'm sure though that anything that happens is is a different category again because of the celebrity factor, right? And so and mm -hmm. so that so whatever the decision that's going to happen, you know, like you say, the the red lines for the Mormon Church are are um, are obedience, but on the other hand, they also don't like bad publicity. So if if a regular person did something and it, it, it might 
actually lots of things happen at a fairly arbitrary level because the local bishops have lots of discretionary power, right? So it depends on what your bishop decides to do. And for yeah, case, especially for a woman, where in other words, for a man, there would they has to go to a stake high council or something like that. But women, you know, like a just regular bishop could just go, well, I, I think that you did bad, and so we're going to excommunicate you. You know, and, and so it, it could be fairly arbitrary at uh, that level. It seems like. Yeah. I think it is. I also think that it's kind of the cult of personality. You know, when somebody is more well known and they are a Mormon, the church will definitely shine a spotlight on them. At David Archuleta, you know, it's amazing. Look, he's a Mormon and he's doing this. Then when they make different choices <laughs> or step away, um, it just kind of fades out. They don't say anything. There's no discipline. They just hope the situation will go away. And you see it over and over as they embrace these celebrities or people that are more well known. They court them. They put them out front. And then, as often happens, <laughs> the people sort of, you know, part ways with the church and then the church, it just kind of disappears, all their notoriety. So I've seen it many times. I think you have, too. Well, we know that the church pays some of the influencers out there. If you're pro-church mm -hmm. and you show good church values. Now, I don't know if Taylor Frankie Paul was being compensated, but we know a number of people on Facebook, on Instagram, on TikTok. If you're pro-church, you get enough followers, they will start to compensate you because the, the church realizes that the Quorum of the 15 can't reach this young generation since they're practically all octo and nonogenarians. So the only chance to reach these folks, like Scripture Central isn't going to be on TikTok. I mean, it makes no sense. Mm -hmm. So, I, you know, it, that's the thing is, is she getting paid? I don't know, but a lot of people are. And one other thing, when it comes to notoriety, if you mess up and you have uh, and you're, uh, you have notoriety, if you look in the church's general handbook of instruction with regards to discipline, the church comes down on people who have a prominent church position and mess up. But in the church handbook, it doesn't say anything about being a, a notable person or a famous person. So it's really about your level of leadership calling. And as we know in the church, since women in the Brighamite branch do not hold the priesthood, that generally the, um, you know, the, the, the punishment is going to be less because women virtually cannot hold high leadership uh, positions. Any last thoughts on Taylor, Frankie, Paul, guys? I hope she gets the help she needs. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think it's part of a general phenomenon of uh, because because there is this thing that's happened in our celebrity culture, and and through social media, people can have that rise so fast um, it, that that in general that uh, people aren't equipped always for that, and so then and so then they, it goes to their head. They lose perspective. They don't want, you know, they think they're so big. And so then they're throwing, you know, they, they have their tantrum. They're doing things because they don't have the, the skill set to, to deal with that kind of um, and increased ego. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're getting paid. When you become an influencer, you're literally usually being compensated for doing sensational things. Yeah. And it's kind, of, it's kind of hard to, I'm, I'm not making an excuse, but yeah. um, that can lead to a lot of uh, perverse outcomes. We'll just put it that way. Now, we got uh, two last articles here to go through for this week here, and we're saving our best article for last. This is the second to the last article here, and this is a shocking article here. Ugandan man here is charged with aggravated homosexuality and could face the death penalty. So Ugandan authorities have charged a man with aggravated homosexuality, which carries a possible death sentence. This is absolutely shocking. Uh, this is one of the most regressive or uh, repressive uh, regimes in the entire world here. And the crazy thing about this or the sick thing about this is, Rebecca, there's an LDS connection to this particular story that is really something I can't believe. What's going on? Yeah, and I think you probably are more familiar than I am, but as I understand it, there's a family watch group that has been lobbying, you know, protect the family, right, and supporting laws, situations in other countries that would prop up, 
you know, the family. And so by doing that, <laughs> you inadvertently, I hope, um, give rise to this kind of legislation, which is so punitive, you know, for anybody that is breaking out of that ideal of the one man, one woman. And so that's what's happened in Uganda. Um, we have people connected to Mormonism and in family watch lobbying and getting those laws passed. And now here we see the first person actually a victim of this law, literally facing a death sentence. Right. And that this is the LDS connection here. This is very well established. Sharon Slater is an active Latter-day Saint. She's been featured in a number of church affiliated magazines, including LDS Daily Living um, and uh, Latter-day Saint Mag. She founded the so-called Family Watch International, which is based out of Gilbert, Arizona. And there's been a lot of uh, links in between the president of Uganda and the Family Watch and her. She's done a lot of lobbying on to try to get this legislation put in place. And it's a very, very shocking Mormon connection to this. Um, what are your thoughts on this? Is and this is really, really sick, John. Yeah. Well, this is uh, this is like the outcome of the the kind of strange bedfellows alliance. We talked about it a second ago. How evangelicals don't consider Mormons to be Christians and actually kind of hate Mormons. Nevertheless, um, uh, evangelicals and Mormons got together politically in the 80s when they created a thing called the Moral Majority in order to uh, to attack human rights like this. And uh, unfortunately, that that has had uh, not just an effect in the United States, where there has been an aggressive campaign within the United States to to roll back fundamental human rights, uh, but is actually uh, more successful in some places, like in this case, Uganda, right? Which, as you point out, um, kind of it's a coalition, Mormon and evangelical, that has influenced these laws that are now, you know, going to actually not only just uh, roll back human rights, but actually causing the death penalty for um, per a person who is simply their inborn condition, right? So, in other words, same-sex orientation. Yeah, in fact, there's another LDS connection to this. Matthew Holland, who was the president of um, UVU for a number of years and is now, um, I believe, a General Authority 70. He um, helped uh, co-found the National Organization for Marriage, which also partnered with the Family Watch. So there's a number of LDS connections that are to this Uganda. And, um, you know, it's just it, it's amazing to me to see that we are in 2023. And we have not not only are we criminalizing our, our Latter-day Saints helping to criminalize homosexual behavior, but that it's going to potentially lead to the death penalty. I, I can't believe that we're living in a modern day society and um, that this is our, our current reality. I, I really wish I, I knew what I could do about the situation like this. And I, I just kind of feel helpless. Uh, Rebecca, any last thoughts on this? No, it's just really unfortunate. And I know that a lot of people are watching it and they're trying to put in place sanctions and they're absolutely expressing their horror and disgust for the situation. So I have hope uh, that this individual will be exonerated or something will happen because the world is watching. And this is absolutely not appropriate in the 21st century. Yes, and that does take us to our featured news article of the week here. And this is uh, John, uh, President Vesey, he released a statement here um, not too long ago regarding his health. And um, it's a, it's gone mainstream here, a statement from the First Presidency here on 30 August. What's going on with President Vesey and what are we going to be seeing in the news for the community of Christ in the near future? Yeah, so um, Stephen, Stephen M. Vesey has been the prophet and president for Community of Christ for the last 20 years. And he has had uh, a health emergency of some kind 
We do not know what that is. Uh, that has been kept private within the VZ family, and we respect their privacy. And so I relate. I don't. I don't even know. I've talked. Like I said, I had a meeting with the first presidency and the presiding bishop just a couple of days ago. We did not talk about that, and I didn't ask, and I'm not going to. Um, we don't know what it is, and we respect the family's right to privacy. But the um, it has it isn't it isn't insubstantial whatever it is because. Um, it was announced that this happened a month ago, and after a month of consultation uh, with the doctors and so forth, uh, it has now been confirmed that uh, President Vizi will remain on medical leave all the way up through April of next year. And so essentially that means that he is no longer acting as the prophet and president. He's on leave anyway. And so it's a little different than what happens in um, the LDS Church. So the LDS Church has made a big deal ever since... Um, essentially Brigham Young's, what I consider to be an apostolic coup, that the senior most member of the 12 become, it's like it's all one thing, a Q15 and the senior most member automatically succeeds. That is not the case in community Christ. So the first presidency is an entirely different uh, leadership quorum. It has no connection with the 12. The person does not have to have been a member of uh, the 12 and usually had not been. Uh, if they then, then are the leader in the first presidency. And so the normal the normal way in the past, there's two different ways for um, prophetic succession in community of Christ normally. And so Joseph Smith III uh, was on the one hand, the uh, son of Joseph Smith Jr. And he was also appointed to be his successor on multiple occasions uh, during Joseph Smith Jr., the original prophet's lifetime, including one of the very last things he did before surrendering to, Car to the authorities in Carthage. And so, um, and so that was considered to be operative in terms of church canon law. There's a section in the Doctrine and Covenants that says if Joseph Smith shall fall, he will have no power save it be to appoint another. And it said there's nothing in the Doctrine and Covenants, for example, to say that the senior most member of the Council of Twelve has any right to succeed. Uh, and so that's been our tradition. So that has been relatively operative all the way up until the 90s when um, uh, Wallace B. Smith, who is currently now alive, but he was uh, the emeritus prophet and president of Community of Christ. When he retired, um, he declined to appoint someone from the Smith family. There are many Smiths in Community of Christ, but he said God is calling other people to be prophets of the church. And so he uh, appointed Grant McMurray to be the president of the church. Uh, when Grant resigned in 2004, uh, 2003, uh, when he resigned in 2003, he declined to appoint a successor. And so for Steve Veazey, he doesn't have either one of those. <laughs> so he was neither a Smith, he is also not appointed by his predecessor. Instead, uh, what happened is the first presidency does not dissolve when, when um, uh, the prophet either dies or resigns or retires. Um, and so instead, the first presidency continued to meet and they called upon the church to have a worldwide discernment process. How is God calling to be the prophet of the church at this time? Um, and that, that then in 2004 centered in the Council of Twelve and they um, pre presented Steve Easy as the nominee to the World Conference of the Church who confirmed him as prophet and president. And so, and so what had already happened as of the beginning of this year, President Easy had said that he would retire in two years. Um, and, and so he was already preparing to step down. And we were going through another worldwide discernment process 
But the way he had announced it was at the end of that process, he would then name who that successor would be. And I was actually actually a person, I was actually kind of critical of that because I said, we can't really go back to appointment like that because we should be um, using a discernment process. We're called to be a prophetic people. Um, but what ends up happening now because of the medical leave, because of the announcement that was just made two days ago, um, the first presidency has now determined that in fact, the council of 12 will again, uh, present the nominee to a future world conference. So in other words, um, Steve Easy is on the one hand on medical leave, and he has now also been removed from the uh, decision-making process in terms of the successor. So um, so that will be, uh, so it'll pro it will be different as a result, um, but it doesn't change things in a lot of ways. What I would just say is there's only so many candidates <laughs> that we might think of that who would probably be the next prophet and president. Um, but, you know, and so, for example, the person who is, there are two members of the first presidency that are around, uh, Scott Murphy and Stacey Cram. Stacey Cram um, has previously been the presiding bishop of the church. She's previously been an apostle. Um, she is an amazing uh, administrator and leader. She is functionally, I would say, the acting president of the church right now. I mean, obviously, Scott is also acting president with her. Um, and, and so she is certainly a qualified person who could take over. Um, uh, likewise, there are a number of apostles that we might consider who would be, and, and other leaders. Um, a lot of people have felt that the most likely scenario is that uh, uh, is that the next prophet and president of the church will be a woman, but we don't know that. So essentially, the difference is it'll be between now instead of uh, President Vizi looking among those candidates and listening to what the whole church says and then him picking somebody. Now it'll be the 12 doing that. And the 12 are interesting because the 12 are a very diverse group. So six of them are women. Six of them, you know, are men. Uh, six of them are from the United States. Six of them are from other countries. And so, and so, and so as a result of that, it is, um, Steve Vizi is an American male, cisgender male, from, you know, straight guy from Tennessee. In other words, so in other words, so 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 it's now a much more diverse group that is discerning and and praying about Revelation, who's God calling. And so and so it's the same group of candidates that they're considering, but there might be a difference in terms of who they decide now based on that. So. Yeah. And you think we should know something by when do you think we're gonna know something by? Well, so I don't think that we're necessarily gonna know anything more about um what's going on with President Vizi until the family decides anything otherwise. I don't know anything. It's just simply in our prayers and we don't, um, and we are hoping for the best. Uh, I don't anticipate necessarily that we will have any news uh, unless something goes bad or good until April. Okay. Um, and in the meantime, um, in the meantime, the uh, that will also probably be when, sometime in that range, when the 12 will tell us who they have heard that we're all uh, that they want to put forward as a name. Well, so, uh, we hope we hope, John, that you will keep us in mind on these updates because we always want to make sure that we cover the community of Christ. We do have a number of listeners who are members of the community of Christ. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's just been great to ruminate with both of you guys on the great and spacious building. Really appreciate you guys being here. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> it's been such Absolutely. a pleasure. I'm, I'm very honored to have you uh, invite me. And in, so love being here. 
Well, thanks. That's tremendous. I want to give a shout out to Weird Alma on Bandcamp.com for this episode's music. And uh, remember, remember, no unhallowed hand can stop this podcast from progressing. So long. When it comes to nicknames of the church, such as LDS Church, the Mormon Church, to remove the Lord's name from the Lord's Church is a major victory for Satan. 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 Hey there, brothers and sisters. Thanks for listening to the Mormon News Roundup. And if you are enjoying this show, please consider making a donation. Patreon makes an important contribution to helping us ruminate on the great and spacious beehive here. So thanks so much to everyone for for supporting us on Patreon.com. Thank you.